Arf, Pup Agus here with The Dog Dish, a podcast all about puppy play and the humans behind the hoods. In this episode, I bark with three non-puppies to hear their side of the deal. We'll look at pet play from the perspective of those crazy goofballs who walk around on two paws, the handlers. You'll hear from Florida Community Boot Black 2021 Girlfriend, a handler I've known for years who goes by Hunter, and Florida Puppy Handler 2022 Handler Chris. Now, grab a chew toy, maybe find a comfy lap, and perk up your ears. Here are my conversations about pet play, specifically with handlers. So as a puppy, I understand immediately why pet play is fun. I get to relax, mentally escape for a bit, let go of my cares and concerns for a while, and just live in the simplicity of the moment. There's a lot that pet play has to offer. The pets. I mean, hell, it's named after us, so it's kind of a no-brainer why we might enjoy it. But what about the handlers? What's in it for them? Why would a handler actually like pet play, especially if it means more responsibility and work for them while we have all the fun. Let's start with my conversation with Hunter. Let me start with the, the personal side of things and then kind of work away more broad from there. And, and this might be unfairly blunt, but what are you in it for? Like, what is it about handling puppies that gets your attention, that brings you in, that makes you actually like this? Well, the, I think the, the the question that I would counter that with is why does anybody get a dog? Um, you know, I mean, people people uh, adopt puppies for the play, for the affection, uh, for the companionship, and that translates very one to one in a in a handler puppy relationship. Um, you you get a chance to watch somebody in a, a perfectly innocent, playful state, and you share a very special connection with them uh, when they are really at their most vulnerable. That's a, that's a unique connection in the, uh, in the kink community that I don't think is really very effectively replicated anywhere else. Um, and I really enjoy the, uh, trust exchange, the unique kind of trust exchange that happens with that connection. That's different from, um, you know, a, a, a dom sub, uh, type relationship that involves, um, you know, sadomasochism or humiliation or anything along lines. This is, this is, uh, a DS relationship that is affection based. Um, and that is quite special, I think. And I was just going to ask then how they're different because there, there is that power differential, um, mm-hmm. in each of the different kinds of relationships that you just ran through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds to me like, well, hmm, I, I'll bet that, people who aren't in a pupper handler situation or in some kind of other BDSM relationship would still say that it's affection driven. Which is fair. Yes. Um, and I, I think that that's, uh, it's funny. I didn't even think about how to articulate this before, but if you're, if you're talking about a dom sub relationship that is sexual or that involves, uh, impact play or restraint, um, it is a, it is a type of kink where, um, where the control is really surrendered uh, by the sub. And in a puppy type situation, even though there is a Dom character and a sub character, uh, I think that there's a lot more autonomous behavior in the sub. The sub, the puppy really has an opportunity to do what it is that their heart wants. And the Dom uh, 
responds accordingly. Um, I guess it has a parallel to a maybe a brat type situation. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. I guess my mindset, the difference between my, my, my mindset is if, uh, if I'm a dom in a situation where I've got a sub who's in bondage or a sub who wants to experience intense impact play, my role as the dom is to help them uh, experience the limits of what it is that they want to. And if they're comfortable with it, with that, pushing them outside of it, um, mm-hmm. you know, to really get them to, uh, experience the boundaries of what it is that their body can take. Mm-hmm. Um, for a puppy, there's no, uh, there's no pushing in that respect. It's really about, um, for me personally, it's about the connection. It's about giving them a place to feel safe, giving them a place to have fun. And, uh, I don't ever feel like I need to push my pups. I need to, I, I need to protect them and give them a space where they can release. That's the difference in my mind for my perspective, whether I'm being a, uh, a BDSM dom or if I'm being a handler. This reminds me of something I heard Daddy Dog from Fort Lauderdale talk about many years ago in a Puppy 101 class. He highlighted how puppy play stands out from other kinds of kink and fetish relationship dynamics. In these dynamics, there's a typical order to how titles are presented. You know, DS, MS, Daddy Boy, that sort of thing. The order is so predictable that we often talk about the left side of the slash for people who control the dynamic and the right side of the slash for folks who submit to the control of others. But that's not how we do it in pet play. Here's Daddy Dog. In the king community, you'll notice that it's master, slave, it's sir and boy, but it's pup and handler. In the puppy community, the puppy always comes first. So we lead with the puppy. For the record, Daddy Dog is the Florida Puppy Handler 2019. Now let's go to my interview with his title child, Florida Puppy Handler 2022, Handler Chris. What draws you to handling? What is the appeal of it? Why would anybody want to do that? That is definitely a good question to ask. While the draw to it is different for a lot of people, I know for me, it was puppies have always added that fun, chaotic <laughs> sense of fun to the atmosphere. And I've I've always liked and enjoyed puppies watching the handlers, pups you know, and critters, you know, interact. I I felt that sense of fulfillment, I guess you could say, that I hadn't gotten elsewhere in kink, kind of like that wholesomeness, I guess you could say. While for me, pet play is completely non-sexual, it definitely caught my attention because it was just after a while of things just being ingrained, you know, to like everything just having sexual kind of connotation to it, just having that fun, wholesome, just chaotic enjoyment, you know, that's that's what attracted me to the pet play scene as far as what really drove me personally to be, you know, a handler is I've always been more comfortable in kind of the top role in the scene, you know, or dom role. I don't like using, you know, those words with pup play because I mean, I, it doesn't, they're, they're not appropriate. They're not relevant. No, they're not. 
I guess you could say it's kind of like equating it back to other aspects in the, the kink world, just kind of having that level of comfort and just, you know, making sure that the scene is safe for the others and being able to observe, interact, make sure things are safe, stuff like that. Kind of like more of the dungeon master role. I know that's a long stretch, but I mean, I, I feel like those two are related. That's what made me comfortable being able to provide that space. And once I can provide that space, then I can interact. And then just seeing the enjoyment that the others get out of it, being able to have that space to not think, to be able to react, to be able to play, relax, nap. That definitely drew me in a little bit more. And then being able to provide that interaction, you know, that the human would. I mean, even just, you know, scritches, you know, making sure they have water snacks, you know, and, you know, just playing and even down to just being the pillow for the pupper critter to be able to take a nap on. Sounds to me like you like taking on the role of caretaker. I do. (laughs) I do. And to show that's a trend, not a coincidence, here's Girlfriend saying pretty much the same thing. For me, like for, I'm always just been a very, very caring, drawing person. Um, I take care of things and I've always just been naturally drawn to that role. Doesn't say it's not teachable. I definitely can pass along some tricks of the trades and things like that to other handlers and other puppies and to whatever. Um, But for me, I get the satisfaction knowing that like one, I'm making sure that the play is safe. Everyone is well-loved and well taken care of. Like I, I'm a big like advocate of let me tender to your kink and that feeds my kink. Like, let me help you, and then I feel good, too. <laughs> Are there other aspects of, of the handler role that draw you to it? Well, dang, I get to play with a whole bunch of puppies and a whole bunch of other critters, and I'm always so excited for that. Like, I love finding the game and keeping everyone distracted. Like, I am, I'm so happy to, like, sometimes just people watch and see how puppies or, or critters interact with each other and, like, chase the squirrels around the pool or how they're doing. And I'm, I really, I love people watching sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always, I'm always about that. And also like helping educate people on the outside as well that come in and be like, Oh, let me pet the puppy. And it's like, hold on. Like they're in the middle of like a rough house session. Maybe not the best time to pet the puppy. Like maybe mm-hmm. ask for consent or things like that. Um, and just kind of always keep an eye out for everybody and make sure they're safe. I, I think it was the leather mass ball last year like we were at the saloons and there was just a lot of like regular folk not regular but like gay folk that weren't familiar with the puppies and asking questions and taking pictures without permission and i'm like please do not like even if the puppy is masked like those masks are very very identifiable we don't need them to be like tracked down things like that helping educate and spread that word like maybe really ask for consent before you start taking pictures and things like that Sounds like good ideas to keep in mind to be polite and avoid trouble. Speaking of which, I asked each of these folks for guidance on being a good handler. What qualities make a handler stand out? Each of my guests has a different approach, not just to handling pups, but also to answering the question. Hunter focused on things handlers should do before a scene. Girlfriend talked about things to do during public moshes, and Chris talked about things not to do. So with that, let's dive into a basic overview of handling. Uh, do you have any suggestions or pointers or tips for pre-scene negotiations then? Because it sounds like they're super important for making sure that things are going to work out. They are as far as I'm concerned. I think that um, talking to a pup about what kind of play they enjoy the most, um, what types of play they've wanted to explore, you know, establishing what the pup's goals are, I think, is the 
the the first point uh, uh, the first point of discussion. Why is it that they've gotten into puppy play in the first place? Uh, what are the things that they enjoy most about it? Uh, what are the things that they don't enjoy? What are the things that that uh, really triggers them? You know, talking about triggers and making sure that you are, um, you know. The, you are a pup that does not like confinement. You would never enjoy being put in a kennel. You're not a pup that would want to be restrained. I, I, uh, I take care of that, uh, mindset, even when we're cuddling, you know, to, mm-hmm. to recognize that like, don't do it too tight. Don't restrict leg movement. You know, mm-hmm. don't make sure that you have some type of, of freedom. So, you know, that if you ever needed to, you could get out, mm-hmm. um, talking about, talking about triggers, I think is also very important. Um, and then setting your own boundaries as well, you know, letting a pup know, yeah, I'm not going to be fucking you this session. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> this is, uh, this is, this is playtime. This mm-hmm. is, uh, this is a time for us to exchange affection. This is a time for us to, to have fun. Uh, if you want to try to learn some new tricks, we could absolutely do that. Um, Something else that I like to do in certain circumstances, if pups have a difficult time getting into headspace because they can't not hear language, um, I will give commands in French or Japanese. Uh, I'll do anything that I can to remove human familiarity for them so they have an opportunity to um, uh, not latch on to sounds that would pull them out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's all good advice for how to have a conversation with a critter prior to play, especially in a one-on-one or more private scene. I talked with Girlfriend about what handlers can do during more public scenes, such as moshes. In those spaces, the critters typically outnumber the handlers by something crazy like 10 to 1 or so, which, let's be honest, is just as nature intended, am I right? Anyway, so I asked Girlfriend about those situations and how to pretend to bring order to that chaos. She said handlers should check on critters in general. Here's part of that conversation. I want to ask some question about responsibility. The question is something like, whose responsibility is it? Because what I just heard you say is, as a handler, you should be checking the critters. I didn't hear you say, I am responsible for checking my pup. I heard you say, I need to look out and see what everyone's wearing, what everybody's doing, and just keep Mm -hmm. an eye out and get to know the pup so that I can interact with them, that sort of thing. How far does your responsibility reach? Where does where are the bounds to that? Does that make sense? It depends on the event. Like for me, for my my personal responsibility, when me and my pup go to like pup events and such, he is my personal responsibility. Like he is a reflection of me and how he behaves. If I'm like helping monitor a mosh, then that whole like thing of me coming in and mm-hmm. watching out for everyone really comes into play. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to take my husband to the vet. So it sounds to me like you're saying when you arrive at a space, you are responsible for your pup and your pup alone. When you mm-hmm. are at a an event and not officially um, serving as a DM at the moment, you are still exclusively responsible for your pup, but you also have this like community responsibility to keep an eye out for everyone. And if you mm-hmm. see something, then you bring that up and, and you work with the, the critter's best interest in mind. Um, mm-hmm. Make sure they're taken care of and protected and all that. Um, and then whenever you are officially serving as a DM, then you are officially responsible for all of them. And, and you are like actively seeking uh, opportunities to step in and guide and protect. Does that yeah. sound about right? Yeah, it's it's see something, say something. It's like the mm-hmm. best way I can put it. Like if I see something like going off, like really wrong, like it's kind of my responsibility to step in. I'm like, hey, like been around for a while, like been doing this with my husband since 2015, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and like 
at least then like, hopefully they would listen to me and not just brush me off. Cause I'm a woman. Cause that mm-hmm. has happened to me before. And I'm like, wow, thanks. Cool, bro. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I'm just here looking out for the best interests of everybody. But if you don't want to take my advice and then, you know, take off the spiky prong collar around your neck, like that's on you. <laughs> well, it's on them until they make contact with somebody else and injure somebody else. And then it's not mm-hmm. on them. It's on them. Yeah. 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 Then it's on the, the DMS who didn't monitor the event and be like, Hey, That point is worth reiterating. It's a fundamental concept of moshes that's often taken care of by others, so some folks don't think of it until it's too late. In a public or group mosh setting, clothing or accessories with sharp or pointy decorations or anything that could catch on something should always be removed prior to play. That includes spiked collars and even shoelace hooks at the tops of many tall boots. And also check everyone's pockets, because dear God, my husband screwed that up one time. (laughs) Now there's a story I'd love to hear. Oh, we were at Sawmill a few years back and my husband and I were, we had just had an argument and my husband, like he was like getting ready for the mosh pit and he was like a little grumpy at me and I'm like, fine, whatever. Like you can check your own things then. And he left everything in his pockets right before a mosh pit. And of course, Topher comes up and checks Pup's pockets and pulls out every single thing, his knife, his wallet, his keys, and just hands it to me. And I'm like, are you kidding me, Pop? So he's Mary Pupper Poppins for a hot minute. Jeez. <laughs> so pockets should be emptied prior to play because those could bonk someone's noggin or fly out or worse. Girlfriend also had advice for ways to add fun for everyone. I would also try and get to know your pups before they play and just be like, Hey, like, what's your name? Who are you? Cool. Like, and then you can call out their name during play, like, especially those puppy mosh pits. You can like, be like good boy and good girl, like pup, I'm going to put, put like pup Aspen or uh, pup pilot or pup fire hazard or, you know, pup bandit and just throw those out. Cause they also like hearing those names like retold and like that confirmation, like, yes, I am this and really like plays into that headspace for them. And she had one more piece of advice for how to look out for pups at play. Should puppies eat dog food? Absolutely not. (laughs) Don't, don't do that. I swear. Don't. (laughs) No, no, puppies and kittens in, in pet paley community need to eat human food, but in a fun way, put it in a bowl for them on the ground. Don't put real dog food in there. You'll get sick. It's not processed regularly for the human consumption. Don't. Yeah, the <laughs> nu- nutrients aren't balanced correctly and it's not good quality food that we should mm-hmm. be eating. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's super uh, important. Things like, um, oh, what Campbell's chunky soup in a dog bowl <laughs> is a, is a good way to give uh, human pups, something that is messy and and comes out of a can, and so it's got that sloppy sound to it. If that's what mm-hmm. you're going for, um, but is human safe? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. Those things are super important. Don't Indeed. don't feed your critters real don't. kibble and hay. Don't do it. That's just don't, bad don't news for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do All it. Right. Along the lines of what not to do, handler Chris had some thoughts to share. A bad handler, you know, dad jokes aside, um, the, <laughs> uh, those are the worst. 
Dad jokes aside, what I would say would make a bad handler is somebody that does not respect consent, somebody that compromises the safety of the scene. Like, for example, they're under the influences of like, let's say drugs or alcohol or whatnot. Those that don't make it a very, very clear objective to assure any scene space is safe for anybody that might be in it. And I'm not just talking about, you know, throwing down padding and, you know, sitting back, you know, and relaxing, you know, it's getting down on all fours making sure that you're looking around. There's no hard corners, hard surfaces. Things are protected. Furniture is braced. You know, if it is, you know, in an area where you can't remove the furniture, toys are sanitized, mats are sanitized, stuff like that. But also what I've seen more of, of the quote unquote bad handlers are those that are overly eager to jump into a scene without any negotiation or, you know, those that, you know, swoop in and collect puppies. Uh, and pets. What I've observed in the last few years of being, you know, in the pet play community, I would say that those would be more of my definition of a bad handler. And finally, what if you're curious and want to learn more about the role of handler? Where can you find more resources? My guests' answers highlight an information vacuum. So if there's a handler out there who wants to start their own show, the field seems pretty much empty for now. Earlier, you mentioned that when you were getting ready to do your first pet play scene, you read some stuff before you engaged in that play. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any recommendations for where people should go or what stuff people should read if they want to learn more? Uh, sadly, I don't think I've found any great books that that really thoroughly explore puppy play. There's, But there are a lot of really great websites. Um, but I would say tread carefully. You know, whenever you are, uh, whenever you're exploring on the web, if you're, you know, looking at Puppy Play 101 and, and all that, there's a lot of really great resources that uh, will tell you why people get into puppy play to begin with. Where are the resources that you can, uh, where you can find, um implements and toys and tails and all of these things. Um, but recognize that anybody's website is just one person's personal interpretation of puppy play. One of the great things about puppy play is that you can really make it whatever it is that you want it to be. And so you use, use websites as a guideline. If you find any reading material, absorb as much as you can, but recognize that it is all interpretive. Um, I think that the reason that there isn't a a definitive book or that maybe I haven't found a great definitive book is because it's so much more open-ended than the history of other forms of kink play, which are really rooted in tradition. Um, Puppy play kind of came on the scene and it came from a very definitive source of humiliation. You know, that's where, that's where it originated, but it has exploded into this veritable cornucopia of uh, interpretations. And so remember that if you're going to engage in it, you have to, you have to make it your own. So sadly, no, I don't have a definitive reading source that I would recommend, but um, do you, or is there, I'm sure you're probably actually more aware. I mean, there's what puppyplay.info is one place that I will often refer people to just because it's got a couple of spots for people to like start. It's, it would tell you enough to let you articulate questions kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But it is a void. I'm not missing out on a, a reading material. Or see, no. I, they, I, I, I think that they, there are um, 
they're really great resources if you're looking to dom or sub or get into the kink community for the first time. Um, but I think that's probably why a lot of puppies flounder in the beginning is because there aren't really any super concrete resources aside from these very superficial uh, introductions. And, and so. at the same time, the the nature of puppy play kind of lends itself against that sort of introduction because yeah. it is very much personalized, very much individualized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there isn't one right way to do puppies. So why would we write a book about something when there is no one right way to do it? You know. But if somebody has, I, I'm I'm putting this call out there to anybody that might be listening. If you do have a reading material that you would recommend, I would love to be able to have something aside from uh, uh, these these very you know, basic websites. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than looking out to the interwebs for advice, handler Chris suggests looking in toward the community. Are, are there any resources for folks who might want to become handlers? Is there a place to go to learn about this? Is there? Yeah. The, if anybody can find any that are relevant <laughs> to. <laughs> so my question became a call. <laughs> yeah. yeah if, if anybody has any resources that are relevant to kind of today's roles, um, I am all ears. My biggest advice to to new handlers is to, instead of jumping into things immediately, like saying, oh, yes, I'm a handler. I want puppies here. Uh, please don't. Yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah. So what should they do instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Don't jump into something. Don't, you know, try to get a little pack going. Step back, observe, ask questions, make friends. Try to understand the community and learn the community because then you know who the key trustworthy people in the community are to give it a little bit more credibility to anything that they might say. Well, nearly everyone that I've interacted with and met is more than happy to offer you their opinion and advice. I mean, that's what we're all here for is to help one another, you know, and be a community. Yeah, just get out there, get to know people and observe, ask questions. When you feel confident that you understand it, then maybe broach the subject and be crystal clear, even to the point of nausea with those <laughs> that you're talking to before you jump into anything. Because adopting a puppy is like adopting a puppy. It's fun. It's cute. It's cuddly. But there's a lot of needs that you both have. And you you want to make sure that those are all fully understood not only your needs for them, but the needs you have of that dynamic, um, which, I mean, unless unless there's a miracle, you're not going to find that in a weekend. <laughs> yeah. That that takes time um, and a lot of learning and experience and conversation. Yeah. Let's go back to girlfriend with this question. You said that one of the problems is that when, when people don't know what they're supposed to be doing at any given moment, mm-hmm. how do people learn those things? I think just kind of watching. I think I think for any like good person of BDSM educator or in, from novice to big goes and watches first and like sees the videos and like understands like how this practice is before ever jumping in. Mm-hmm. Like I remember like the first event that like I joined into. I was I was whisked away as a boot black, but I was watching how the competition was going and such with the other male contestants and such, and just kind of taking back and like really watched and like see if like I would ever want to like compete for like a title or anything like mm-hmm. that, and really like watch and study. Mm-hmm. I think 
the best way you can learn is by studying a little bit and taking back before you jump in the, the big deep end. Mm-hmm. And so studying to you is studying the people who are around you in your community. What happens if someone is in the middle of nowhere and they don't have a physical space to go to? Um, do you know of any good resources that people can use to learn about this stuff? Um, there are some great resources. What's the safe word is a big one. They do mm-hmm. a lot of stuff on YouTube. Um, pup amp is great. Um, mm-hmm. he does a lot of educational and kink podcast shows. Um, this, this show can teach you a lot, <laughs> not plugging back. Um, I do a lot of my other shows on, on my YouTube platform. Like I always have a guest in with different aspects. Maybe one of them might peek back at your interest. Um, Trouble Comes in Three also has mm-hmm. a very different podcast as well. Um, if you're younger and under the age of 18, I'm going to recommend you to Scarlet Teen. <laughs> yeah. That's not for me. <laughs> and you shouldn't be listening to what I'm saying right now. <laughs> I was going to say, those folks probably aren't in the audience right now, but if they somehow snuck through, scarletteen.com is good yeah it's a really good resource mm-hmm. um, and if not fet life um if you're looking for like some source of community fet life is like kinky facebook best way to put it start like reaching out via that way you might never know the local dungeon could be like a block away from your house and you never know because it's mm-hmm. industrial warehouses if folks know of other resources for handlers please reach out i'd love to get folks on the show to share more about how handlers can learn the secrets of their trade so there you have it That's not enough for you to jump up, brush off your shirt, and start handling puppies right away, but that should give you some basic pointers and guidelines for things to keep in mind. And like most anything else in the BDSM communities, watching before you participate can be the best source of learning available. Don't rush into anything and ask as many questions as you can think of. Thanks for listening to The Dog Dish, and special thanks to handlers Chris, Girlfriend, and Hunter for their time, perspectives, and insights in this episode. If you enjoyed the show, if you enjoy those conversations and want to keep them coming, if these episodes help you feel connected or informed, please help support the show's production. Imagine if you and I had these chats in a bar and you'd say, let me buy you a drink. Consider sending that along to make sure everyone, everywhere, can benefit from these discussions. Just follow the Become a Patron link at dogdishshow.com. Thanks for helping out, and special thanks to Marco for his significant support these past few months. I don't actually know who Marco is, but I want to extend a personal thank you for the recent donations. You're the best, and I appreciate it. Our next episode will be about outsiders. Remember that last podcast girlfriend mentioned? I'll introduce you to the lovely ladies of the Trouble Comes in Three podcast for a take on how pet play works for folks who don't fit the common stereotypes. But that's a few weeks away. In the meantime, go train your podcast player to fetch, so you'll hear the next episode once it's released. Or you can visit dogdishshow.com for all episodes for more information about the show and to get in touch. But until then, you stay. Stay tuned for more, that is. Arf.